At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one, Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and Something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Rice, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to the house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Amen. So that is the word of God that we're going to be dwelling on today. Before we jump into the sermon itself and pray for the sermon, I want us to uh, just go over a, a few quick announcements. As, as, as I said, I'm so sorry about the mix-up. If you're watching these announcements, again, I'm, I'm sorry, but for everyone else, let's catch you up. Number one, if you want to reach out to your friends and family, feel free to share this video. You can start a watch party or something like that. This is a weird time. Uh, One of the things that we have been personally thinking about has been how do we reach out to our friends and family. One of the imperfect ways we can do that uh, is a platform like Facebook. Uh, You can share this video. Uh, You can like uh, and react to this video, comment on this video. Um, and uh, that way more, more people will see this video. Uh, number two, giving. If, I, I want to say thank you for your continued faithfulness in giving. If you want to give, there's the information on the screen. Uh, I've noticed that a few internationals watch our videos and they've been asking how they can give uh, towards Lofstavon if they're somewhere else in the world. I would simply direct you to go to the icelandproject.org if you want to support someone working on the ground in Iceland to do ministry. Um, Now, fourthly, it looks like the two-meter rule is going to be in place over the entire country starting October 20th. So it looks like we're not going to be meeting in person unless God gives us some really creative idea of doing that uh, until sometime at mid-November. So please be praying for Elliot and I as we pray through what God would have us do in this weird season and how we can faithfully do ministry and reach out to people. Um, so there's that. And then there's the membership class. If you want to know more about our church, what we believe, what our distinctives are, what makes us different from other churches, and you want to know what it, what it means to be a member and possibly become a member, then you can sign up for a membership class. You can email me at Gunnar at lovstavan.is. You can send a message to Lovstavan Baptist Kirke on Facebook and we can get in touch with you. Um, but let us know and we can find a time that fits your schedule. That is it for the announcements. Uh, no, I, if you want prayer, 
then feel free to comment on this video. After the sermon, I'm going to read through the comments, post it on the screen. That way, we all know how we can be praying for one another. We can check up on one another. We can pray together, not only now during this live stream, but also throughout the week. And uh, yeah, so if you have a prayer request, feel free to post it preferably here on the comment to this video, or you can post it on Lost One Fellowship chat on the Facebook chat. Let's pray and let's dive into the sermon. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace. I thank you so much for your patience with us. And I thank you so much that even though we can't gather in person, that we can worship you through the study of your word. And I pray, God, through this, through this time where, you know, a, a lot of us, we can't gather, God, may we cling more even closely to you as, as a lot of us deal with uh, just side effects from being isolated, side effects of not having anything to do, maybe being bored out of our mind. God, may we hear the longing of our souls for something deeper, something more. God, may we not just be settled with entertainment. May we hunger and thirst after you and may we know you more. May we know you in a deeper way. And God, as we study your word today and as we see how you build your church and how you work in your church and through your church and how you are faithful and true to your word, God, may we be encouraged by that, especially since we remember all the promises in your word that have not been fulfilled yet, but are our future hope. So God, as we see you in your word, may we not only know more, may we love you more. May we love like you more. May we reflect who you are. May we be faithful and good imagers of the God who created us, our creator and sustainer. God, as we, as we seek to be faithful parents and siblings and daughters and sons and co-workers, God, help us be salt and light wherever we are. Help our speech to be seasoned with salt. God, help us reflect who you are. And as we dwell on your mercy, as we dwell on your great work, may we be encouraged and may we be blessed to show mercy to others. May we, when we dwell on your sacrificial love, may we love sacrificially and glorify you in that way. So God, I, I pray that you would guide me, that you would help me not share my own ideas, my own ways, wisdom, because that we know for a fact that does not change or transform lives, does not satisfy needy souls. But may your work, word shine through. As we study your word, may we be impacted by it. May we love you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, like I said earlier, my name is Gunnarigi Gunnarsson. If you don't know me, it is a joy to be with you today. I don't know about you guys, but for, for myself, the reason why I, I am a pastor today in many ways is because God used a lot of questions I had in my own mind, in my own heart, questions that started arising in my life since I was about 10 years old or so, questions about the purpose of life, the point of life what happens after death, and so on and so forth. And I always was dedicated to the idea that I wanted to know the truth. And I wanted to know the truth no matter how difficult it was, no matter how much I disagreed with it. I wanted to know what is true. I didn't want to find answers that coincided with what I felt like should be the case. Uh, and then once I started studying the Bible, I started getting more and more convinced as I saw uh, the Bible know things about life and what was going to happen uh, before it even happened and, and so on and so forth. I got more convinced that this is the word of God. And my, my, my focus shifted on I want answers to my questions, but I want biblical answers to my questions. And there have been a lot of questions throughout the years. Uh, among them would be a question like, how does Jesus speak to people? And is that even something that still happens today? 
because I would hear about, uh, you know, a, a group of Christians that would say, well, since we got the word of God, it is perfect. It is all we need for building us up in righteousness. Then God doesn't speak anymore. And I, I was asking myself, is that really the case? Now, today in our text, we are going to be dealing with quite a few things happening, but our main point is going to be this that we see Jesus Christ building his church, we see Jesus Christ using his church, and we see Jesus Christ staying faithful to his promises. Promises that are pretty recent in the New Testament, also Old Testament promises. And this should encourage us, uh, especially as you may feel the effects of living in a broken world, and you may be clinging on to the hope of eternal promises, eternal life, one day having your tears wiped away by the nail-pierced hands that saved you. Uh, as you cling on to those promises, I hope that you are encouraged as you see Jesus Christ staying faithful to his promises in our text here today. So I want to jump into the first portion of our text, which is going to be the first eight verses in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. All right, so we are dealing with a text. I find this very interesting. You have this guy who is a high-ranking military official, and one of the things that you see happening again and again in Scripture, and this is a very much a side point, is that when an angel shows up, everyone is terrified. Now, this is a centurion. He's a high-ranking military guy in the Roman military, the biggest, the baddest military around at this time. An angel appears to him, and he is scared out of his mind. What is it, Lord? What do you want from me? Um, so I just find that interesting. Man, what, what an amazing power. Like I think when we compare God to anything on earth, it's totally insufficient. You can compare him to the most powerful person on earth, the most, the most uh, just strongest person on earth, the bravest person on earth, and in comparison, they're just going to pale in comparison to what God is actually like. Now, I want us to remember for a second as we continually have to remind ourselves when working through a book like the book of Acts where a lot of amazing, supernatural, extraordinary things are happening, we have to remind ourselves this is more than just some story or fairy tale or myth. This is an actual event. This, these are real people, real places, real things happening in real time, in a real context, and a real culture. Um, so... This is happening, Cornelius is in Caesarea, Peter is in Joppa. Those two towns are about 48 kilometers apart from one another. So it's, it's a pretty big deal that he would send servants to go and fetch Peter. It's not a 15-minute car ride. This is a, a day-long, I mean, probably more than a, a day, you know, walking 48 kilometers to get to Peter to bring him back 48 kilometers. Uh, that's quite uh, a stretch. But I want us to stop right there, because as we read that Cornelius is a centurion in the Italian cohort, those are the type of details that we may, as we study the Bible, uh, sort of read over and, and basically think, yeah, okay, we get it, he's a military man of some sorts, and we, we move on from there. But Cornelius is more than just a military man. He is a very high-ranking military member. And he's also not only a high-ranking military member, he's a high-ranking military member among the Italian cohort. Uh, this, these were some of the most uh, devout to the Roman cause military members out there, the Italian cohort. Here's why this matters. 
because this is happening in occupied Jerusalem at this time. Remember, almost any Jewish person in this time wanted independence. They wanted to have their own kingdom. They wanted someone like King David did in the past who ruled over this and he was a godly man who followed you know, the laws of God and wanted, wanted Israel to flourish as their own thing. Well, right now, they're just a part of the Roman Empire and the people ruling over them are not Jewish believers. They are Gentiles who don't really care much about their faith. They will allow them to practice it as long as they don't go into any kind of rebellion or anything like that, but they're generally not godly people. Uh, So a lot of people in this time, a lot of Jews, they hated the Romans, these Gentiles that were exercising authority over them, these Gentiles who ruled over the temple practically. You know, they could take away their rights to worship and so on and so forth without an instance of thought. So Cornelius even though it seems that he in some respects has earned a a good reputation among the Jewish people, he was most likely also very hated by a lot of Jewish people. Like the relationship between Jewish people and Gentiles at this time was such that if you were truly a Jewish person, you never even think about the idea of going into a Gentile's house or having a Gentile come into your house and stay for dinner, let alone hosting them to stay for the night as we see happening here in the passage. But but our text tells us that he is more than just a a military guy. He is a God-fearing man. So Cornelius has a reputation to to love God. Um, So much so, apparently his whole household has noticed his faith and follows Cornelius in his faith. Uh, if you've looked at studies about like what, it hap- what happens in households when parents come to faith and the effects of a mom coming to faith and how that affects the religious upbringing of the entire household versus the man coming to faith and so on, there was a Swiss study done about this uh, that was published in the 2000s. And it, it was just amazing results on, on what happens when a parent comes to faith and how it affects the other parent in the household and the kids and so on. But here we, we have this glimpse into the household of Cornelius. A lot of people see his faith and they want to follow him in worshiping the God of Israel. So Cornelius, even though he had earned some respect, as we'll see later on, he is also very hated now, he is spending his time in prayer with God and his resources, in some way at least, to help the poor. And after what seems like years of faithfulness in doing these things, faithfulness in worshiping God, faithfulness in growing in knowledge of who he is and loving God, following his ways, faithfulness in giving of, of himself and his resources, even when it hurts, even when it means that he has to sacrifice some material goods and so on and so forth. After seemingly years of this, because there has to be years because he has earned a reputation for these things, right? And that takes time. Well, I'm guessing there's a, Years of just pretty regular life happening here. Him just being faithful with what he has. Him just following God and and really not experiencing a lot of extraordinary moments. All of a sudden, God pulls him in and says, you know what, I've I've been watching you. I'm going to allow you to be a part of this big thing that I'm doing, this extraordinary event that I'm doing. And it starts with him seeing an angel whom he is terrified of to start of this chain of events that's going to lead to something beautiful and really supernatural and extraordinary. Now, what I find interesting in, in this is because a lot of Christians today, they, they might read a passage like this and they might only focus on the extraordinary part. Right? They don't know much. We don't really know much about Cornelius' life up until this point. There are things in the text that suggest that he's been living a rather faithful, normal life for a long time, just growing in faith in his God and in knowledge of the God of Israel uh, and not a whole lot of crazy things happening. But here he's allowed to be a part of something extraordinary. And a lot of Christians see that extraordinary part and say, I want that. 
I really want this extraordinary. I want to be terrified by an angel. I want to be a part of God changing the course of history. I want to be a part of the, the gospel going out to the Gentile nations and so on and so forth. But they don't want the faithfulness of Cornelius leading up to that extraordinary event. They don't want the prayer life of Cornelius leading up to that extraordinary event. They don't want their wallet to hurt like probably Cornelius did when he was giving away his resources that God has blessed him with to the poor and the needy among them. No, they don't want that. They just want the extraordinary, right? A lot of people say this about the Apostle Paul. It's easy to be impressed by the Apostle Paul and how God used him in mighty ways. A lot of people see how God used the Apostle Paul to plant churches all over the Roman world at this point, and they say, I want to be a part of something like that. Like, I want to be a part of God doing something crazy in my nation through me. And yet, they don't want the suffering of Paul. They don't want the faithfulness of Paul. They don't want the work that was not in the spotlight that Paul had to do. And so, may it not be so with us. As we look at and we read over the book of Acts and we see these extraordinary events happening and we might be tempted to say, oh man, God, I want to be used in this way. And it might be really good reason to because you want to glorify God. You want other people to know him. Let's remember that years leading up to this point, the life of Cornelius probably looked rather normal. And let's be okay with living the normal Christian life. Let's, let's be okay with being salt and light in our normal day-to-day work. And yes, let's long for the fact of God to use us in that way. But what does the Bible say? Be faithful in the small things and I will give you much. Let's be faithful in the small, Right? The God of the Jews, he decides to appear to this Roman soldier, basically saying, I've seen you, I've heard your faithful prayers, I've seen your obedience and giving to the poor, even when he hurt you, I've been watching and now I'm going to bless you in an amazing way. And he asks for him to send for Peter, who is a Jewish follower of Christ. Now, I just want to highlight this. Cornelius and Peter here both share these traits of being faithful, available, and teachable. Acronym being FAT, right? Faithful, available, teachable. So we see this in Peter. He's there. Uh, Cornelius has been faithful. He's he's available to listen to God when he appears to them. He's teachable. You know, okay, you know, send this, send people out to get this Peter guy and I will be teachable. I will be willing to listen to him because God has told me to. We see the same thing with Peter. He's faithful. He's available. He's there taking time out of his day to pray and, and focus on God. And he's teachable, although he's a little bit stubborn in it when, it, when God is trying to teach him and change his mindset about uh, animals and so on and so forth. But I want to underline this issue, though. Neither one of them is perfect. Cornelius is not perfect, even though he's got an impressive reputation. Peter is not perfect by any means. If you, if you read the, the New Testament, you know that Peter is often saying the wrong things at the wrong times, and he's just, uh, well, you think about, think about uh, even the trial of Jesus when they were trying to kill Jesus, and they successfully killed Jesus. Peter was there, and he had the opportunity to stand up and say, yes, I am, an, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, but he denies him in that moment. And his failures don't end there. They don't end just before Jesus is crucified. Even after he ascends into heaven, um, you know, in Galatians, Apostle Paul has to, has to go into Peter's face. In Galatians chapter 2, he mentions this, and he had to rebuke him in front of the church because Peter was showing favoritism towards the Jewish believers versus the Gentile believers, which is very interesting in this context because Peter here is being called to go to this Gentile, Cornelius, to tell him about the faith and who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. Well, you can say that they're both faithful, they're both available, they're both teachable, but I just want to say this. They're not perfect. God does not look for perfect people to operate in and through. If, if God would only operate through perfect people here on earth, he would not do anything at all because there is no one perfect except for God. 
Do not make the mistake of thinking, well, if only I get to be more impressive, if only I get more credentials, if only I am more perfect, if I work my way to God, then he will be impressed enough to actually work in me and through me. But no, God glorifies himself, himself and his strength in our weakness. That's what he does throughout scripture. Remember, we are all here because we realize that God is holy and we were not. Because we realize that God is perfect and we are not. Because we realize that God is righteous and we are sinful. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what I'm saying here, if you're not a Christian, I know the term sin is like a anathema in today's society. It is the missing the mark of what you were created for, for what God created you for. That's what sin is. Well, we have to realize this bad news. That one day, all of us, we're going to stand before God. We're going to stand before his judgment. And what he's going to be using as a measuring stick for us and how we measure up if we earn our way into heaven or not is his own holiness, his own righteousness, and his own perfect nature. He's not going to be comparing ourselves to Hitler or Stalin or Paul Potts or some horrible human beings that have done horrible things and saying, well, Gunnar is pretty impressive. No, he's going to compare myself to himself. And let, let me just say this, if it's not clear to everyone right now, we're all going to fail that test. Every one of us is going to fail that test because we are far from perfect. We not only, we don't need good advice. We don't need good tips on how to work our way out of this hole. We need good news. We need a good savior and we have a savior in Jesus Christ who covers us in our imperfections in his perfect nature. And so that's why we celebrate. That's why we worship. That's why we love Jesus because he has first loved us. Do you want to be used by God? You don't have to be perfect. God has never looked for perfect people. He's only looked for repenters. You want to be used for, by God? Just live a life of repentance and by the Holy Spirit seek to be faithful, available, and teachable. That seems to be the traits that you see in people that God uses. Even though they fail multiple times with those things, God is merciful and gracious and he catches us in his grace. I want you to notice one, things about, uh, one thing about Cornelius' life though. His legacy is amazing. It, it kind of reminds me of... Uh, uh, of last week when Elliot was preaching, he was talking about Tapitha and her legacy. She, she had died and, you know, there were all these ways that she had blessed the poor among her. Um, but he, his legacy is impressive, but I want to underline this issue, that Cornelius' legacy is only impressive from uh, an eternal perspective, from a Christian perspective. Like, listen, if, if you're simply seeking your best life now, if you are simply seeking a comfortable life of material gains and comforts, if you are simply seeking all the pleasures that this life has to offer and the pleasures are numerable, you could probably spend the rest of your life seeking a new pleasure when the, the, the old one stops satisfying you a little bit because it will. All of temporary pleasures are just that temporary and they will not last. And so, there's so many pleasures in this world, you could probably just spend your entire life chasing, chasing the carrot, hoping you never actually catch it because that way you would actually notice that you're not satisfied. But if you are going to live for your best life now, if you're simply going to live for a comfortable life, then let me tell you this, Cornelius' reputation does not make sense. It should not be something that you strive for. Because why would you give away something good that you have if you could use it for yourself and give it to others? Why would you take the money that you have that you could invest in building your own kingdom, your own reputation, your own glory, and give it to others who are in need? Why wouldn't you buy more things for yourself or seek to gain more fame through it? And if there's anyone out there and you're watching this and, and you might be an atheist or a materialist or something like that, I just want to tell you, 
you know, I want to ask you this question. Is, if this life is all there is, and it's simply all about the survival of the fittest, it's simply all about squeezing every amount of joy and pleasure you can get out of this life, what rationale do you give for self-sacrificial love? What rationale do you give to living a life where you could earn the reputation of Cornelius and be happy about it? Why would you give away your money to charities that take care of the orphans, the poor, the handicapped, the widows? If it's all about this life and nothing more, why should you give self-sacrificially? Why should you love sacrificially? Now, I'm not saying that you don't or that you shouldn't because I really truly think if you're out there and you're an atheist or a materialist, I think that you actually know that you ought to do these things. I'm simply suggesting that your worldview as an atheist or materialist may be completely wrong because you cannot give a reason from your worldview of why you ought to love people self-sacrificially. You see, the reputation of, of Cornelius here is only impressive from an eternal perspective. If you realize that this life is not all there is, eternity is to come, and eternity is going to be so much greater and well, by its very nature, very longer than this life. But notice this. Notice God's love for the poor. God appears to Cornelius and says, I, I've noticed your giving of alms. I've noticed your prayers. It, just think about God's love for the poor, the needy, the downcast, the downtrodden those who needed to be served and saved and defended. Like just this week, I was reading in Jeremiah chapter 22 in the Old Testament, um, the judgment that God had on Israel saying that they would be taken into captivity for forsaking their covenant with God. He had told them that this land of theirs would be their own as long as they served him and followed in his ways, but in Jeremiah chapter 22, the judgment is not simply about their willingness to forsake God as their God and worship other gods, but also the byproduct of that. It's also the fact that he was judging them for not taking care of the poor, for not taking care of the widow, the foreigner among them, because of the fact that they had forgotten what their God had done for them. They had forgotten how he had freed them out of slavery, how he had fed them in the desert when they had nothing for themselves, how he had fought on their behalf, the army of Pharaoh, when they were completely defenseless. Because they had forgotten these things, it naturally led to them not seeking the freedom of others. It naturally led to them not feeding others and naturally led to them not fighting on behalf of others. And so the judgment of God is that, yes, you have forsaken me in worshiping me as your God, but the byproduct of that is that you have forsaken loving other people, serving the poor, taking care of the needy, fighting for the voiceless. This is how seriously God takes serving the needy and the poor. That's astounding to me because I sometimes have to stop and wonder, do I take that, that seriously? How are we doing in, in loving those who can't love us back? Do we love in this way? Do we seek not only to be in awe and wonder over the mercy of our God, but also to extend that mercy to others? If it were not for God's heart for the poor and the needy and those who needed to be served and loved, none of us would be standing here today. I would have no good news to preach about. We would have no gospel to sing about. I would have no hope to proclaim to you if it were not for God's heart for the needy, because ultimately we all were there. We all were sinners in need of a savior and Jesus Christ came to us in that way. Like I, I read Galatians, for instance, chapter two, and I, I, every time I come across this passage, I, I kind of stop and it, it kind of hits me in a weird way. Because it says here, and when James and Cephas and John, Cephas is, is Peter, 
who seem to be pillars, perceive the grace that has been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now here, here's the reason why I stop a lot when I, when I see this. And sometimes, sometimes it gets me thinking, sometimes it makes me discouraged. Paul is here about to go plant churches all over the known world to the Gentiles. One of the main emphasis that's given to him by James, Peter, and John was this, take care of the poor. Now, out of all the tips that they could have given him, insights about church planting that they could have given him advice on, out of all the, the lectures about ecclesiology and methodology and ministry philosophy, they could have given they decided to go with this, take care of the poor. Every time I read this passage, I have to stop and think, how is the modern church doing with this? How, in our eagerness to see healthy, gospel-centered, Christ-exalting, disciple-making, and multiplying churches planted in Iceland and abroad, how are we doing in just taking care of the poor? Because it seems to be a big emphasis not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Like even with Cornelius, God says to him, I have noticed you because of your alms, because of your giving to the needy. And I ask myself, how how am I doing in this? How's the modern church doing in this? Is it reflected? Is our heart for the poor reflected in our own church budgets? Is my heart for the poor reflected in my own personal budget for our home? Do we put money aside to take care of the needy among us with the the blessings that God's provided? Anyways, but we move on to uh, the next middle verses here. Verses 9 to 16. It says, The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry. (laughs) I love this. Peter's getting distracted here while he's about to go pray. And he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and the birds of the air. There came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up into, at once to heaven. So one of the themes that we see in our text is prayer. Both of these guys, they're taking regular time out of their day to pray and God is actually speaking to them. I remember this, this sketch here in Iceland. I, th- I think it was in Iceland. It's like, well, if, if you... If you pray to God, then you're religious. If, if, if God, well, if you talk to God, you're religious. If God talks to you, you're nuts. Well, it seems that that's happening all over the scripture. It doesn't seem to concur with the modern thinking. God is speaking to them. And as to the question of whether this still happens today or not, I, I've searched in the scriptures for this, you know, does the Bible suggest that this stops when the Bible is revealed to us? You know, and I, I cannot in good conscience say that God has revealed in his word that he will stop speaking once the Bible is in our hands. But here in our text, I find a principle that seems to happen a lot when God is speaking to someone in the Bible. He speaks to multiple people at once. He, he confirms that he is speaking through his word or other witnesses and like well it seems to me it it, it uh, makes sense in light of like first thessalonians 5 19 through 21 do not quench the spirit do not despise prophecies but test everything and hold fast what is good it's interesting test everything by the way if you need some memory verses you got three right there pretty short ones uh, test everything and hold fast to what is good And so it seems to me that this kind of coincides with this principle. Got to speak into Cornelius. Peter is 48 kilometers apart and he's doing two different things and then he's confirming that this is him speaking through them coming together and realizing that in their separate corners, God has been telling them the same thing. 
it seems that God, when he speaks, he includes more people. Like, for instance, how difficult do you think it would have been for Mary to convince Joseph that an angel had appeared to her and told her that God made her pregnant? How do you think that story would go over with Joseph if it were not for the fact that Joseph had also been visited by an angel and the same thing happened to him. He was terrified and he said, fear not. And he confirmed the message that he had given to Mary. How, how do you think that would have gone over? Now, one of the things I love about this text is, is Peter, he's about to go to pray. He realizes he's hungry. I had this passage in mind this week and I was praying and all of a sudden I was realizing I got so distracted. All of a sudden, all the things I had forgotten about started popping up in my mind. All the things I needed to do, all the things I needed to write down. I got so distracted when I wanted to just take time, just minutes out of my day to just be in silence and praying to God, uh, laying my burdens before him and, and so on and so forth. I get so distracted and I had this passage in mind and it seems the same thing is happening to Peter when he's trying to reserve some time to pray. But Peter... God uses Peter's hunger not as a distraction, but he, he wants to basically reveal something great to him. And there are two major things happening here. Number one, he's declaring that all food is clean right now. All food that had been categorized as unclean in the Old Testament is now clean. This means that Peter can leave his prayer meeting joyful, go and enjoy some good bacon, right? To the glory of God. God is saying, this is all clean right now. And number two, God is also transforming Peter's view of the Gentiles that were in many ways reviled by the Jews at this time. Now, number one, let's start with the, the, the food part. In the Old Testament, there are a bunch of ceremonial laws. They are not moral laws. They are ceremonial in nature. They were a, a, a part of the temple worship. Now, they are moral in that sense that if you don't follow them, you are disobeying the commands of God, and that is a moral issue. <laughs> but for instance, uh, one of the laws in the Old Testament is that if you touch a dead body, then you're not allowed to, then you're ceremonially unclean, and you're not allowed to go to the temple to worship before you go through a ceremonial cleansing process. So that takes up to, I think, like a week in, in the Old Testament. So when you think about, for instance, um, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and if you've ever wondered why, why Jesus would use the example of a priest and a Levite who passed by the body, the guy who's beaten on the street that may look like a dead body, they may be more concerned about actually being ceremonially clean and you know, being able to go back to the temple than actually loving their neighbor. That may be a big part of what, what Jesus is saying there. But in the Old Testament, if you touched the dead body, you weren't sinful, but you were ceremonially unclean. You couldn't go and worship in the temple. Well, in the Old Testament, you also have a bunch of these laws with regards to food. There were certain foods that were clean, what the Jewish community today calls kosher, and there were other foods that were unclean that you couldn't eat, uh, food like pigs and, and so on and so forth. Well, Jesus is basically saying he has fulfilled the ceremonial law. He's underlining that he is true to his word. Now, one of the things I think about is John chapter four. When Jesus goes to the Samaritan village, and he's at the well, and the woman at the well comes to him, and she wants to have this theological, religious debate on how do you worship? Is it this mountain, or is it you know, the temple in Jerusalem? And Jesus says to her in John chapter four, the hour is coming, and is now here, that those who worship the Father will worship in spirit and in truth. And then he goes on to say that it's no longer going to be about a place. It's no longer going to be about a temple or a mountain, but people everywhere and any time can come before God and they can lay down their burdens before God. In the old covenant, what would typically happen is, like if you take the example with uh, the dead body, if you were ceremonially clean and you would touch a dead body that was ceremonially unclean, typically what would happen is that the ceremonially unclean thing would make you unclean. 
But what we celebrate today is that in the good news of Jesus, it works the opposite way around. He is the one who is holy. He is the one who is clean. We are the one who are in, ones in our sinful mess. And he comes and he touches us and we don't dirty him up with our messiness. He makes us righteous. He makes us clean. And it, it is no longer about what touches our body or what goes into our body like food that makes us unclean, but simply the reality of Jesus has touched us. Jesus has purchased us. We are now in Christ, covered in his righteousness. But here's the fact. Peter, at this point, is probably not super excited about going out and eating bacon. He's probably not thinking, well, he just announced everything is clean. I'm going to go and enjoy some bacon. I'm, I'm guessing that in Peter's mind, bacon is still just culturally sort of disgusting to eat. Because you think about this, if, if, if God would appear to one of us today and he would give us the same vision of, you know, animals coming down from heaven, he's like, hey, Gunnar, just to underline the issue, all of these animals are clean. Like, they're all clean. You can go, go right now and, and enjoy some dogs, if, you, if you'd like, or some cats, or some snakes, some reptiles, like they're, they're all on the table. You can, you can enjoy all these things. You can enjoy some insects, like they're all, like it wasn't just bacon that I made clean. I'd be like, yeah, thank you, God, but I'm not really interested. <laughs> not interested in the, that type of meat, really, because still culturally, the way I grew up, those things are disgusting to me. So I'm guessing that Peter is going through something similar, where He's like, okay, well, this is, God is transforming everything. Okay, everything is clean now. I'm guessing he's not going to go and eat bacon the day after this, though. But all of this has to do with much more than just food. Remember this, that God is also saying that his view of the Gentiles is wrong. That he shouldn't view the Gentiles as unclean or common, just like the meat, this may be a major mind shift for Peter. I, I'm guessing when he invited the Gentiles to stay at his house, he was probably thinking, do I really want to do this? I've been told my whole life never to let a Gentile into my house. And I've been told my whole life never to go into a Gentile's house. Am I really just going to radically change how I've lived for the last 20 or 30 years? Is that really what's going to happen right now? I'm guessing that was a lot of the, the thing that was going through his mind when he was walking over to Cornelius' house. He had been told all of his life to not associate with the Gentiles, to not go into their houses. And now he's not only going to a Gentile's house, he is going to a centurion's house who is a part of the Italian cohort, the most loyal Roman soldiers out there. I'm guessing he has to deal with you know, not only the meat being clean, but also his view of the Gentiles and possibly his view of the Roman military and let go of that before he moves on. But we see that he does actually move on in our last passage. And I'm sorry, I, I put out there Acts 10, 17 to 31, but it's 17 to 23. It says, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that had, he had seen might mean, behold, the men... Who were, ap who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And whilst Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them, accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. This is God basically changing everything. This is the reason why I'm here. If you think about it. Up until this point, this religion 
had revolved around a specific ethnic group of people that were not Nordic descendants. Right? They were Jewish people in the Middle East. God is changing everything. His people will no longer be a single nation among many other nations to be salt and light to the world, but rather his gathering of kingdom believers represented in every nation of the world to be light right there in the darkness. Now, centuries earlier, there was another Jewish person who had been given a solemn message by God at this very same town, Joppa. And he had been told to go to the Gentiles to deliver this message of repentance. Right there in that very town, Joppa. However, he refused. And instead of boarding the ship to go to Nineveh, he intended to ignore the message of God and started running away from God. Here we have another Jewish person hearing the call of God, God giving him a solemn message to go and deliver to the Gentiles and an invitation to preach the message to these people. And he has to wrestle with a lot of things. He has to wrestle with his own sinfulness. He has to wrestle with his own cultural upbringing. He has to wrestle with his own prejudices and possibly his own disdain for the Roman government and military. He has to decide if he will go the route of Jonah, as he did before in Joppa when he got delivered his message to decide to run away and not obey God, or if he will go the route of obedience. What is it that you're being called to do, and how will you respond to the call? It may not be something extraordinary. It may not be something crazy supernatural like what's happening here in the text. It may actually include all the details that may not be included in this text. Like, for instance, all of Cornelius' life leading up to this point. It's just random faithfulness from day to day. But what is God calling you to do? How is he calling you to love and lead your family? How is he calling you to serve the people among you? Like even, even just reading this text and thinking about it this week, I, I got kind of like convicted about how often we can get so distracted by just the busyness of life. And I, I started looking into what Jewish people would pray like back in the day. There were regular times during the day where they would just take time out to just, this is my time with God. I'm going to focus on prayer and laying my burdens before God. And I kind of got convicted about this. Like I feel maybe I should be taking regular times out of my day, maybe every few hours to just take five, 10, 15 minutes to pray before God. And I think that's going to be super helpful because I think from there on out, it kind of fixes my mindset again. It, It reminds me that, you know, I'm living for an eternal gain, an eternal life. It reminds me to not be distracted by all the things that really don't matter around me, but rather to seek to glorify God. And so maybe that's something that God's calling you to do through reading through this text. But one of the major things happening in our text today is that we see that Jesus is building his church. He's faithful to build his church. And what I love about this text today is that he is allowing his church, like Peter, to be involved in his church growing and his message spreading. And also he is staying true to his word. He's staying true to the promise that he had given to the Samaritan woman at the well, that it would no longer be about those who just worship at a specific place, but those who worship in spirit and truth anywhere and anytime. And he's also staying faithful to promises made hundreds of years before to introduce this new covenant, that it would no longer involve the temple and all the ceremonial laws. So I just want to read us how how God is staying true to his word. And remember, as Jesus fulfills his promise here in our text today, he is going to stay faithful to his promise, all the promises in scripture. One day we will see him face to face. One day we will fully know all the answers to our unanswered questions. One day 
this life, no matter how amazing it's, it's been or how difficult it's been, will pale in comparison to the eternity that we go into. God is true to his word. So I want to read a promise of God given to us in Jeremiah chapter 31 that Jesus is fulfilling. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Here, Jesus is introducing by his blood this new covenant. This new covenant that is not dependent upon how we do, that either grants us the, the blessings of God or the curses of God that he lays out in, in, for instance, the law. But he promises there, I will remember their sin no more. They will be my people and I will be their God. My law will not be outside of them. It will be in them. And so, brothers and sisters, let us be encouraged that God is faithful to his word. Let us be encouraged that Jesus builds his church as he is doing with Cornelius. Let us be honored and blown away by the fact that he allows us, his church, to be a part of that happening. And if you're not a Christian out there, if you don't have this hope, there's not, it's, it's, it's not a big process there's not, you know, classes or lectures you have to sit through or anything like that. All you have to do is surrender your life to Jesus Christ because he has created you and he knows what he created you for. He knows where your true joy and flourishing is actually found because he knows what, you made, what you're made for. And you're made for a relationship with your God. There is a hole in your life that's never going to be fulfilled until you have been uh, have been blessed by God until you have been reunited with your God and your creator. So if you're out there and you're not a Christian, if you're out there and you haven't experienced this hope, I would simply say confess Jesus Christ as your savior. When you stand before him, you're not trying to earn the righteousness of God. You're not trying to impress God, but you're simply saying Jesus paid it all. He paid the price I am but an undeserving sinner who has a great, great Savior. And then confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. You're simply saying, my life is not my own. Jesus Christ, he lords over me. He directs my steps. He makes my plans. Ultimately, my life is to glorify him and enjoy him forever. So I want us to be encouraged encouraged by the faithfulness of God in this way. So let me just pray. Uh, if you have prayer requests, then feel free to post them on a comment to this video. If someone would take the, the prayer requests from the fellowship chat on Facebook and post them in the comments, I would love to read them to us and let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for you being true to your word. I thank you for the fact that you build up your church and that you allow your church to be a part of that process. God, may we never forget, may we never let our ego be so overblown to think that somehow the building of the kingdom of God and your church here on earth is up to us. But let us always remember to rather be honored and humbled by the fact that you allow us to be a part of your work. May you be the only one that's glorified. May your name be the only name that's lifted up and gathers all the fame. God, may you, may you be the star of this show. May we not seek uh, our own elevated egos. May we not seek to, to, to do things our way. May we rather, 
may we rather seek to just glorify you with our lives. God, as we think about you building your church and we think about it specifically in this context of COVID-19 and everything that's happening, we don't know fully, well, we've never been in this situation before, but we know this situation doesn't catch you by surprise. We know that your work of building your church doesn't stop even though society kind of stops and changes a lot. So build your church and allow us, to give us your wisdom Guide us, call us to be a part of that so that we can glorify you and we can enjoy you forever. Be with us, Father, I pray, be with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so let's read through some prayer requests that we have. Number one, I would like to mention, just let's pray for our nation this week. Um, That's just I, I really want to be able to gather in person again. I want to be able to worship in person again. I really hate talking to a camera lens. And so I'm just, I'm excited for the time when we get to worship again. Let's pray for those who are sick because of COVID. Let's pray for those who are in authority to make the right decisions so that uh, this thing would stop and that we could just worship again freely without fear or anything like that. And I, not even just that, I want to be able to hug you guys again. I want to be, I want to be able to hug you without this weird feeling of, do I, don't I, you know, what's going on? So ah, just join me in praying for our our nation this week. Uh, Yeah, let's jump into this. Prayers, here is one from Logan. Please pray for uh, Redeemer City Church of Reykjavik core team gathering tonight. Also, please pray for wisdom and patience as we seek to plant RCCR in the midst of this current COVID restriction and guidelines. Yes, uh, I do not envy you, Logan, and the core team of RCCR to seek to start a church in this, but I am thankful for you guys to, to do that. Uh, Tenji. Please pray for my friend's daughter in South Africa, Lindy. She's still in the hospital. And we will join you this week in praying for this. Um, Hildur, please pray for my health. My treatment is taking chance, uh, taking changes and Lord will... Uh, Lord willing, this means the depression and anxiety will fade away, but the new treatment comes with a lot of nausea, so please pray that I might suffer well, continue to glorify God in my studies. Pray for my marriage and relationship that God would heal the depression and help me fight, uh, fight against the lies of the enemy. Strengthen the people around me as they have to suffer my difficulties when I last out in impatience. Pray for miraculous healing. We will. Um, Helke, please, for, please pray for unsaved relatives. We will join you in that. And let's keep on praying about uh, just us reaching out to our, our unsaved rel- uh, relatives, but also more importantly, the Spirit of God uh, replacing the hearts of stone with the hearts of flesh so that the people might be ready to receive the good news of Jesus when we express them to them. Uh, Christine, please pray for me and Friedberg. We are both having a bad day mentally. We will join you in that. Uh, Johanna Odensdottir, please pray for my sickness and wounds on my body and joy. We will join you in praying for that. Johanna. Um, Yeah, this seems to be it. Let's remember these prayer requests as we go into this week. Let's not only pray for them generally now as I will do as we close this session out, uh, but let's also remember uh, them as we go into this week. And let's check up on one another as we go into this week. Father, I, I thank you that we can come boldly before the throne of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. God, we, we remind ourselves again that no matter how great our troubles seem to be or great how difficulties seem to be, God, may we stop regularly and remember that you are greater than anything that comes against us, that you are greater than any disease that we face, that any diagnosis that we face, any financial situation that we face. You are greater than all everything in this world. So God, may we not be people who are defined by fear or controlled by fear. May we seek to humbly but still 
boldly come before the throne of God because of what you've done. May we lay down our burdens before you. May we remember the words of our Savior who told us what worry brings us. It doesn't add a single day to our lives. And so, God, that is, a, that is truth. That is a great truth, but at the same time, that's difficult to apply to our lives. So allow us to apply that truth to our life. Do not be people driven or controlled by fear. God, I pray for supernatural healing. I pray for you to work miraculously in and through our church. God, I pray that you would use us in in extraordinary ways like you've used Peter in our text today and Cornelius, but also, God, help us be faithful in just the, the, the everyday obedience, everyday faithfulness. Help us glorify you, God. For, for those in our church that might be dealing with anxiety and depression, I pray that you would give them your peace that surpasses all understanding. For Friedberg and Christine who are having a bad mental day, God, I pray that you would just help them focus on the cross of Christ and draw, uh, draw strength from, from what, you, what you've done and who you are. And, and God, Holy Spirit, minister to them. Minister to all of us. Give us your wisdom. Give us the words to say when we don't have the words to say. Give us your strength when we don't have the strength to go on. Help us glorify you and enjoy you forever. Help us love you more and love like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we go into this week. May we seek to glorify God. May we seek to make disciples of all nations. May we seek to Spend time with God to allow him uh, to mold our mind, to change our thinking, uh, to take time out of our day to just realign ourselves and focus on what really matters in the midst of the busyness of life. May God glorify himself in us and through us. Be faithful disciples of Jesus. And if you want to know more about the faith, if you have a lot of questions, feel free to message Lofstaman Baptistikirke on Facebook. You can email me at gunnar.lofstaman.is. I would love to talk to you. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. May God use us all. Amen.